Our reading today comes from James chapter 5, beginning from verse 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone among you happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've heard that if you want to embarrass a Christian, all you need to do is ask them about their prayer life. I know that's true for me. I wonder if it's true for you. Uh, there might be other areas of our Christian life that we'd like to keep under wraps, uh, areas that we prefer nobody asks us about. But I wonder if prayer is one of them. And because there are times when, when prayer can feel like one of those Christian plates that we've got to keep spinning. It's something that we know we should do, but we don't feel like we're very good at it. We find it easy, therefore, to neglect prayer uh, to forget to do it, to file it away as something that we might work on one day, get better at one day, but not today. It's too hard. As we come to the end of the letter of James today, it's prayer of all things that we find James focusing on. Uh, James has had a bit to say about prayer already in his letter, and the instructions that he's given his audience of Jewish believers tell us that our struggles with prayer aren't unique. In chapter 1 of his letter, James encouraged believers to pray to our generous God, asking him for wisdom, recognising our needs, recognising what we lack, and talking to our generous God about those things, asking him for those things. But alongside that encouragement in chapter 1 was a challenge. James wrote, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And so here we see at the start of James this connection between, the, between our prayer and the rest of our Christian life, the rest of our life that God has given us. And it's possible, James says, for the way that we pray to show something deeper about us. And this is consistent with what James has said throughout his letter, as he's shared with us that the Christian life is a whole life. We don't have a prayer bit that's disconnected from the rest. 
No, our prayers are part of the whole. They come out of the whole. Uh, What's happening when we pray tells us something about the whole of our Christian life. The way we pray can show us how we're going, how we're growing in our wholehearted devotion to God, our single-minded confidence in Christ. These things can be seen in the way that we pray, in the things that we pray for. As we come back then to prayer in this final passage of James, uh, he doesn't bring up the topic to embarrass us. No, he understands our struggles, but he wants prayer to be a genuine expression of what's happening in our hearts, of what's happening in our Christian life. And he offers us helpful encouragement to go about this, to, to pray, to be people who pray, to be people who express our faith as a community of believers people who turn to God in prayer in every aspect of our life together. And we find the first two expressions of faith, this this turning to God in our life together, we find them in verse 13. Uh, James asks, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Uh, James shares with us here the the spectrum of life experience for us as believers from troubled times through to the times when we're happy. And he shows us that across that spectrum of life, in all the situations in between, we express our faith in God through our response to God. And so here's what it looks like, praying, praising. Uh, As we've seen in this letter, facing trouble, facing trials of many kinds, That's a normal part of life for believers in this fallen world. We know some of the forms of trouble uh, that have taken place for James's audience. Uh, We remember that they fled persecution in Jerusalem. They found themselves scattered among the nations, facing mistreatment, oppression, financial hardship, favoritism, exploitation, hypocrisy, pride, slander, self-interest. These are the trials that God's people faced and continue to face. And so, what do we do when we're in trouble? What will it look like for us to express our faith in God in these times, in these difficulties? James says, we pray. Now, James doesn't give us any more detail about what to pray when we're in trouble right here, and I think this gives us great freedom about how we might pray when we're facing difficult times. This is relational. Prayer is always relational, so we talk to our God from our heart about what we're going through, and we ask him from our heart to help us. Uh, So whatever trial we're facing, we can ask God to deal with it, to take the trouble away. We find that an easy thing to pray for, God help me. And we can ask him to deal deal with the trial that we're facing through our efforts or in spite of our efforts. He could choose to work in either way, and so that's what we ask him to do. And we can ask him to help us to trust him through this trouble, to stick with him, no matter what happens. And we can ask any or all of these things and more in prayer, in prayer to our good and generous Heavenly Father. Because in these times of trouble, in times of trial, that's how we express our faith in God. We do it by praying to him.
But as we see in the same verse, our response to God and our expression of faith in God doesn't just come in times of trial. It might come easily at that point, but that's not the only time we respond to him. We also need to express our faith in God when we're happy. I wonder what comes to your mind first when you think of happy times. Uh, Maybe uh, getting a promotion. Maybe that was a point of happiness. Maybe uh, having your baby sleep through the night. Maybe uh, enjoying quality time with friends and family that doesn't come around often enough. Uh, Maybe you think of going on holidays, hearing a particularly good joke. Um, Maybe sharing a smile with someone. Maybe you think of times when you've noticed God's hand at work in your life or in the lives of others. Maybe when you've seen him answer prayer. What does this picture tell us that that James shares with us about that end of life? What will it look like for us to express our faith in God in happiness? He tells us, we praise. But there's always a risk, isn't there, that when life is is on a bit of a roll and, and work's going well and things are happy at home, that we just enjoy it. We enjoy it, but we don't always respond to it. We enjoy the gifts without recognising or responding to the one who's given them. Um, James shared with us earlier in his letter that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And here James says that a normal part of our life as believers is to acknowledge God's hand in our happiness, to sing songs of praise to him, as we recognise his specific goodness and kindness to us at this moment in time. Um, Like David wrote in in the song of praise that is Psalm 103, we are to praise the Lord with all our inmost being. We are to praise the Lord and not forget all his benefits. This isn't necessarily an easy thing to do, though. Uh, Responding emotionally to anything might not come easily to us. And we might not feel all the feels. And on top of that, some of us might find singing difficult or awkward. And we might get self-conscious about it, preferring to listen to others rather than singing ourselves. But even so, this is James's encouragement for us, for all of us. Hear this encouragement to respond to God as we go through the happy times of life. To praise him. And this is incredibly freeing because in instructing us to sing, James suggests that that we don't need to suppress our emotional response to our happy situation. In fact, we we learn to let it grow because it becomes a whole person response. That's what James keeps reminding us. It's a response that involves our hearts and our minds and our mouths. And so these are the spec- this is the spectrum of Christian life that James shares with us. When we're in trouble, we express our faith in God by praying to him. And when we're happy, we express our faith in God by praising him. Um, the third expression of faith in our life together comes in verse 14. Um, James asks, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Um, Here here James zooms in to highlight a particular type of trouble 
that we face as part of life in this fallen world, the problem of sickness. And the picture that James initially gives us here is someone who is physically sick, as someone who is incapacitated, bedridden, unable to do anything for themselves, to go anywhere by themselves because of their ailment. And we meet people like this in the Gospels, like the paralysed man in Matthew 9, where, who had to be taken around on his bed. When we see sickness like this, or any sickness really, it reminds us that we still live in a fallen world, a world where everything is affected by human rebellion, including physical health. And so what does James tell us here? What will it look like for us to express our faith in God in sickness? Well, consistent with verse 13, it involves prayer, just like what we do when we're in any type of trouble or trial. But different from verse 13, it's specifically the prayer of the community of believers that James describes and instructs us towards. And the believer who is sick, what do they do? They call for the elders of the church, the leaders of the Christian community, to come and to pray for them in the name of the Lord. And they anoint them with oil as well. And then verse 16, we see that it's not just the leaders, but it's the whole community who are involved in praying for this person. Now, while this picture begins with physical sickness, James brings into the same picture the possibility of spiritual sickness, of unconfessed sin in the life of a believer. In the second half of verse 15, he writes about the sick person saying, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James reminds us here that that sickness and sin are related. But by saying, if they have sinned, James tells us two further things about sin and sickness. One, we can't assume that the physical sickness that someone is suffering is being caused by a specific sin. Sickness does show the existence of sin in the world, it is part of our fallen life in this world. But James doesn't attach suffering and sickness to a particular sin. And the second thing that this, that this shows us uh, when James says, if they've sinned, is, it, is that it's possible that there's a need for sin to be confessed to one another and forgiven by one another during this time of physical sickness. Um, I know that when I'm sick with something, I just can't wait for it to be over. That's normally how my prayers go when I'm in sickness. Take this away, quick. I want to feel better. Uh, But I think it's helpful for me and for us to hear about sickness, uh, as James describes it here, as an opportunity for spiritual reflection and restoration, as a time to recognise and repent of sin that might be in our lives. It's a way for us to invite prayer from one another, not just for our physical health, but for our spiritual health as well. And we might think that talking about our sin to someone else is is the last, the absolute last thing that we want to do, though. Um, But as a church, the, the challenge is for us to grow in our relationship with each other, in our trust of one another, so that we can have these sorts of conversations I find it very easy to pray for people's physical well-being. I find it much harder to pray for spiritual things. Maybe you're the same. But we want to be able to ask each other for help and for prayer 
uh, with no fear of judgment, with no risk of humiliation, so that as we share honestly with each other, we can hold out to each other the hope that James shares with us in this passage, that if my spiritual health has been compromised by a particular sin, then God will forgive. He will restore me spiritually. He will make me whole, perfect in his sight. Our God is that good. Our God is that kind. He sent his son to deal with all sin. So how easy is it for us to turn to him and confess our sins to him, to come back to him today? And we don't want to let anything get in the way of that. Now, what James shows us here is that when we see physical and spiritual sickness in ourselves, that there is a need for more than just a personal response. Um, As the picture zooms out, we see that, that the response to physical and spiritual sickness is part of the expression of faith of the whole Christian community so that we can and should reach out to one another, sharing our struggles with, with each other, asking for prayer from each other, and then actively praying for the spiritual and physical restoration of our brothers and sisters in Christ. James speaks about this thing as, as normal Christian life, as a normal part of our life together. Now, we can't see this sequence and ignore the the positive results of this prayer that James shares with us. Uh, He tells us that the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And again, in verse 16, he tells us to pray for each other so that you may be healed. And it's quite an emphatic and clear result, isn't it? It would be easy to think that based on this result, that, that James is giving believers a formula for physical healing. Uh, If you get the right people in the room, get them to say the right prayer, anoint with the right oil, have the right amount of faith, healing will be the guaranteed result. But it's hard to draw that consistent conclusion as as we bring James into conversation with the rest of Scripture. I'm seeing the New Testament, we see many examples of God answering the prayers of, of Jesus, of the disciples, the apostles, and people being healed as a result. And it's wonderful every time. But none of the healings described in the New Testament adhere to this kind of formula. And at the same time, we also see people like the Apostle Paul praying to God for healing in 2 Corinthians 12, but not receiving it. Three times he asked God to take away his physical affliction, but God didn't. And even in the passage in James immediately before this one that Marianne read for us, there's an expectation of patient perseverance through suffering until Jesus returns. That is the time when all suffering will be removed, when all trials will be taken away. And that's the assurance that that we hold on to, whether trials come or go, whether prayers are answered, whether healings come. Now, this doesn't mean that we should ignore anything that James says about how we respond to sickness as a Christian community. These things are still absolutely an expression of our faith in God. And it doesn't mean that we should avoid praying for physical healing for ourselves or for each other. James makes clear that we absolutely should. God is powerful to do these things. But this is also an expression of our faith in God. We trust in his will and his wisdom when we persevere in prayer when we pray even when we don't get the results we expect or want or desire. 
As James has shown us, we pray knowing the character of our God, that he is compassionate and merciful. We know that our God gives wisdom generously to all without finding fault. This is what James has told us about our God, who we pray to. And through his wisdom, we know that our trials draw us to persevere in our faith in him. That they're about growing in our wholehearted devotion to him. And so we pray to our God confidently, consistently, and humbly, knowing that even as we express our will, our desire, we trust him to do what is best, remembering his character, remembering all that he's done for us in Jesus. Now, this posture of prayer is rarely easy. And it's almost in, as if uh, knowing our struggle that James encourages us to keep praying at the end of verse 16. He says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, in case you're wondering, the righteous person that James is talking about here isn't code for a church elder or a minister or a parish councillor or a growth group leader. A righteous person is another way of saying a believer. To show this, James offers the example of Elijah from the Old Testament. And now James could have talked about Elijah as a prophet because he was. He could have talked about Elijah being carried up to heaven in a chariot because he was. But, but James doesn't do those things. That's not how he introduces Elijah as someone whose prayer was powerful and effective. Did you notice how, how Elijah is introduced as an example here? Elijah was a human being, even as we are. And as a human being, a human being made righteous by God, just like us, Elijah's prayers were powerful and effective. And James wants us to know, so are mine and so are yours. And now there's lots of examples from Elijah's life that James could have chosen to highlight the power, the effectiveness of prayer. But the one he chooses here is important for us, for what we've seen in the letter of James. Because this is the time, the time that James picks up on, this is the time when Israel's king and its people had become double-minded, divided in their loyalty. Uh, even though Israel were God's people, saved by him, set apart by him to be wholehearted in their devotion to him, God's people are confused in the time of Elijah. They're unclear whether they should worship and follow the Lord their God or Baal, the false god of their neighbours. And to try and shake them from their double-mindedness, Elijah prayed and asked God to send a drought as punishment on Israel. And God did. There was a drought on Israel that lasted for three and a half years. And at the end of that, at the climax of that, uh, there was the big sacrificial showdown on Mount Carmel where God sent fire from heaven to show that he was God and to show that Baal was nothing. And the people of Israel at that point, after that display from Elijah, they commit themselves to serving God again. After three and a half years, Elijah prays again. The drought breaks, the rain comes, and the earth bears fruit. And so do you see the point of the example that James shows? This episode from Elijah shows us the power of prayer, particularly to, to restore the spiritually wayward. 
Because that's James's big concern through his letter. That's been James's big concern from the start, and it's the same as he comes to finish. James wants it to be our big concern as well. As we see in the final expression of faith in our life together, in verse 19, James writes, My brothers and sisters, if, any, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. In these, in these final words of the letter, James calls on us, calls on his fellow believers to do what he's done in this letter, to prayerfully, intentionally, desperately bring one another back to wholehearted devotion to God. So he pictures a believer who's been given new birth through the word of truth, who's received new spiritual life in relationship with God, and it's a life that's meant to grow and change them as the word of truth is humbly accepted by them, as God's wisdom is heard and put into practice. That's the picture of the Christian life we've seen through James, and that's what we see here. But the believer that James pictures is in trouble. They've wandered from the truth in some way, maybe accidentally, maybe intentionally, maybe in a minor way or a major way, it might have become evident in their thinking or their speech or their behaviour. We've seen all these things. But James says it's sinful and it's serious, this wandering from the truth. And so what does this picture at the end of James tell us? What will it look like for us to express our faith in God when we see one of our brothers and sisters wandering from the truth? Well, James says we prayerfully Bring them back. James is saying, look out for one another. Take responsibility for one another. Maybe you haven't seen someone here at church for a while. Maybe you know they're struggling. Maybe you have no idea how they're going. Well, the most powerful and effective thing you could do for that person would be to pray, to get on your knees before our loving Father for the sake of your brother or sister in Christ to pray for their spiritual well-being, to pray for their perseverance through trials, to pray that if they've wandered from the truth, God might bring them back and maybe use you in that. Maybe you'd even invite others of us to join you in those prayers, reminding us of one another who might have wandered away. And then how simple would it be to follow up on that to do the practical thing? that we often find much easier to get in touch with one another, to give one another a call, drop someone an email, pay them a visit, listen to how they're going in their life, to have conversations with those who we miss about how they're going physically and spiritually, to assure the people that, we, that we're worried about of your acceptance and your prayers. We want to do what we can to prayerfully bring one another back so that together we might be wholehearted in our devotion to God. Now, friends, as we finish our time in James, we've been encouraged to express our faith as a community of believers, to be wholehearted and single-minded people who turn to God in prayer in every aspect of our life together, 
In trouble, we pray. In happiness, we praise. In physical or spiritual sickness, in wandering from the truth, we pray powerfully, effectively, seeking God's restoration and salvation for one another. So as we finish with James, as we seek to live out what we've heard, let me lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for your goodness and kindness to us. Thank you for giving us new life, a new relationship with you and with each other through your Son, Jesus. And Father, you alone know the course of our life, the days of joy and happiness, the days of trial and trouble, the days of physical and spiritual sickness, the days when temptations would make us wander away from your truth. Please, Father, give us your wisdom in all the days to come that we might persevere in wholehearted devotion to you to the end. Enable us by your spirit to prayerfully trust in you in every trial we face for all the days you give us until Christ returns. Come, Lord Jesus, come. It's in his name we pray. Amen.